listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I'm glad to have you share the broadcast. I know this is going to be uh, more of a controversial broadcast for many, for many, Uh, but it needs to be talked about, needs to be said. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Uh, I'm going to give you five reasons why you need to retire your King James Bible. Sarah said, do we have to agree with you? You don't. You don't have to agree with me. In fact, you never have to agree with me, uh, but I'm glad you're watching. (laughs) Hey, Jess, good morning. Um, I'm not going to give you any announcements at the beginning of the program. We're going to jump right in, but please, if you would help me take a minute, share the broadcast on whatever platform you're watching. Um, there are many bots that need to see this. And so if you could share it, I'd appreciate it. Um, I want to preface all of these remarks with, with a couple of things. Uh, first, number one, um, I'm not in any way, uh, vilifying the King James Bible, the King James version. I'm not, this broadcast is not about me saying, you know, it's a, uh, there, it's something wrong with it. It's bad. You know, it's a bad trend. I'm not, I'm not trying to you know, this, I'm not talking about the passion translation. I'm talking about the King James Bible. And so maybe we'll do a separate broadcast on, uh, on the passion translation. Dennis, Dennis has already said, he said, sorry, not going to happen. He's letting us know. Uh, and that's fine. You may, you may not, you may watch this broadcast and you get to the end and say, you know what? There's no way I'm doing that, but I'm going to give you some real reasons as to why you should consider, uh, for the average person, uh, retiring the King James Bible. And so, uh, I want to say a couple things right up front. Uh, if you have it and you like it and it's working for you and everything, you grew up with it and it's how you've memorized all your scripture. I grew up with it. I memorized much of the scripture that I know today, uh, from the King James Bible. So not here to vilify the King James. I'm going to tell you some things that maybe you don't know about the King James Bible. And then I'm going to talk to you specifically about where we are today in Christianity, where we are today in this generation, what's happening, what's going on and how we can improve it. And uh, what some things that'll really, they'll, they'll help you. So people, people will say this, you start to talk about the King James Bible. And um, by the way, if you saw this title and somehow uh, you jumped onto this broadcast because you're a part of the King James only movement, uh, then you're going to want to just keep your tomatoes for the end. Uh, for those of you that don't know, there is something insane called the King James version only movement, the KJVO, where they believe this is true. By the way, they actually believe that the King James Bible is the only inspired and inerrant word of God. It's the only, and they'll go as far as to say that even the original manuscripts that were written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic are not the inspired and preserved word of God. Only the King James version of the Bible is the inspired and the inerrant word of God that he preserved for his people. Uh, that's insane. I mean, if you believe that, you have 
many screws loose in your brain. I actually heard someone ask a King James onlyist one time, so are you trying to tell me that if somebody in the world wants to have the actual word of God in their hands, that they could read the real uh, word of God, they have to learn English? And the person said without hesitation, absolutely they do. Absolutely they have to learn to read English because otherwise, how would they read the King James version of the Bible? And that is absolutely insane. If you believe like that, um, you need to visit a psychiatrist because that is absolutely nuts. Uh, the King James version of the Bible. Here's the other question for people like that. Um, who had the word of God in the world in history? Who had the true word of God before 1611? That's when the first King James version of the Bible was published 1611. So we went for 1600 years after Christ and no one had the true word of God until the King James version was produced. There was nothing that God did through his word until that. That's insane. I mean, those people, those are people that like are children of cousins. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> They're like cousins got together and had children. And they, these are the people we're talking about. But in all seriousness, that's, that's a ridiculous uh, position to hold. And so if there's people that are watching and you're a King James onlyist, uh, go back through your family tree and find where it was that your cousins got together. But the, 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 that's not who I'm dealing with today. I'm dealing with, with, with you that uh, you may love it. You may love the King James Bible. One of the arguments that you'll get when you're talking about the King James version of the Bible is uh, look how powerfully it's been used uh, by God for the last 400 years. It was the main thrust of evangelism, you know, around the world. It was the version that God used. Many converts came into the kingdom uh, via the preaching from the King James Version of the Bible. And look how God's used it. it. Without question, we can see that God's hand was on the King James Version of the Bible. Well, I'm not denying that many wonderful things have happened in Christianity over the last 400 years and that primarily many churches use the King James version of the Bible. I'm not denying that, but I'm also not looking at that fact and saying, well, you know what? That's the proof that God's hand is on the King James version and only the King James version. Uh, times change, things change, and things can be improved upon. We're going to talk about why that's true in the, in the, in the video today, but listen to me, you could make that same argument about newspapers. And you could say, well, you know what? Newspapers worked to get uh, the news around the country for many years. And, and newspapers are the standard. You can see newspapers are the way to go. In this current year, would you still argue that newspapers are, are the primary and best function to get word out to the people, to get the, the news, not that we believe the news, but to get uh, this information out to the people? Or do we now, I mean, Later, radio was invented, and radio was a much quicker way to get information to people. Then television was invented, and, tele and television was a better way to get information to the people. And then the internet was created, and the internet was a much quicker way uh, and method to get information to the people. And then, of course, without having to go onto a website, then social media was created. And we can get our message out like you're watching it right now via 
the, the internet via, via social media applications. And so, yes, newspaper worked for many, many years, but it is no longer the very best means to get the message out to the people. The very same thing is true uh, about the King James Version of the Bible. I'm going to give you five reasons today as to why you should consider um, retiring the King James Version of the Bible uh, in your own life, or even as you're, if you're, maybe if you're a preacher, I'm going to give you reasons why you should retire preaching from the King James Version of the Bible. You may not agree, and you may not want to do it, and that's totally fine. Again, uh, you may... It may be working for you, it might be your thing, you grew up with it, that's totally fine. I'm not vilifying you or the translation. I'm going to give you five reasons why uh, there are better avenues for this current year that we're living in. And uh, I want to I start with this, first of all. And listen, as we're going through, I want to hear your thoughts. If you have comments about the things that I'm saying, put it in the comments and let me uh, read it. Let me, let me read what you're thinking, what you're... What you're uh, position is on these things. But uh, I want to say, first of all, that the reason I'm doing this is not because I want to smash the King James Version. Remember this, okay? This, this right here is the main thrust of this video. Number one, I care about people. I care about Christians. I care about Christians being discipled. I care about evangelism. I, 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 I literally care about people understanding the word of God enough for themselves that they could clearly explain it to someone else. Okay. And so I want you to, I want you to understand why I'm doing this video. It's because I care about people. I care about discipleship. I care about Christians understanding the word and I care about evangelism. And so I'm going to show you how that plays in with all of these different points that I'm giving you today. And nerd with a cigar, please stick around and hear all of these. It's funny to say that on the broadcast, nerd with a cigar, please. That's not, I'm not, it's not defamatory. That's actually his name on YouTube. So <laughs> please stick around and you'll not, you're not going to hear me talk about the NIV on this broadcast, except to make one point. Uh, and you'll, and you'll, you'll see it. Number one, are y'all ready? Get your tomatoes ready to throw at your screens. Uh, number one, and this is an important point. The King James Version of the Bible is, it's not an easy translation to understand. That's the first thing you need to recognize. It is not an easy translation to understand. Now, I know people are like, I understand it fine. I understand it perfectly. Good for you. The average American, and I have, if you want me to post this, uh, statistic in the description of this video, I can. Gallup polls were done for 130 million Americans. Um, and the average American from the age of like 20, in fact, I can pull it up right here and tell you what the, uh, what the actual age is. It's something like, I know it goes up to age of 75, but they did a study for ages 16 to 74. So the average American from the age of 16 to 74 years old reads at less than a sixth grade reading level. So you could say that the average American 16 to 74 reads at a fifth grade reading level. Get that in your, in your mind, get that in your heart, the, a fifth grade reading level. And so the problem that we have, especially when preaching, teaching, or even reading and comprehending is that number one, 
Most people can't even read normal literature that is beyond a fifth grade level and properly comprehend it. So why would we give them the most important piece of literature in the history of the world and expect them to understand, comprehend, and be able to explain its truths to someone else? It's a foolish way to go about it. And you could make the argument and say, well, Americans are just getting dumber. They're just illiterate. Well, that, that's not the point of, of Bible study. The point of Bible study is not to grow in your literacy. The point of Bible study and the point of preaching the word and teaching the word, it's not an English class. It's the word of life. And the important point that we have to get across is, is that uh, when you preach the word of God, it should be understandable. When people read the word of God, it should be understandable. And it's interesting to me, you know, that the King James Bible uh, includes such archaic language. Um, anybody that wants to argue, no, it's, it's a better language to use for the scripture. Then how come you don't write your emails that way? How come you don't write current books that way? Why don't you write even on social media that way? Well, if it's such a superior way to write so that people can understand things, then why don't you write that way? Why, why don't news organizations write that way? If it's so superior, I'm telling you, I'm telling the way that the, I've actually heard people argue that the, the way that the ye's and the you's and the these and the thou's and all that were, are used. It's a, it's a much better way to understand scripture. If that's true, then how come nobody else writes that way? Why don't you, even the people that argue that way, they don't write that way and they don't even preach that way from their pulpit. In fact, let me say this, you know what I hear a lot of preachers do when they preach from the King James, they'll read their text and then they'll say this. Now what the Bible's actually saying here is this, well, why do you have to explain what the Bible's actually saying when you just read it? It's because what you read is not easy to understand for the people that are listening. So why not cut out the middleman? And when you're reading scripture, why not read from scripture versions that people can actually understand from the outset. Why do we always have to have a middleman? And so it, it's not easy to understand. Did you know that there are over, there are approximately 300 words in the King James Bible that have changed their meaning or are not being used anymore? 300 different words that have changed their meaning or are not even being used anymore. It's archaic. We don't talk like that anymore. We don't read like that anymore. And we don't write like that anymore. Why would we continue to choose a Bible translation that is archaic? Now, some might argue and say, well, you know, there's other translations and nerd with a cigar. If you're still watching, there are other translations that, that use archaic language. And they'll point out things like the fact that the NIV will use uh, the term satrap instead, instead of like governor or leader, or whatever, and say, see, that's archaic. Nobody says satrap anymore. Well, it's not that, it's not just that, that you, when you read literature, you might come across a word that's not in your vocabulary. That's going to happen with any literature that you read. I can remember reading uh, novels, uh, you know, written by, you know, secular authors. I can remember reading novels as I was coming up and, and different fictional stories. And I'd come across a word in a novel that I didn't understand. Well, I'd look it up. I would just look it up and say, what does that word, what does that word mean? Add it to your vocabulary. So it's not that it's just the words, it's that it's written in a way that is archaic. It actually has uh, grammar and syntax that are no longer used. And, and in fact, 
yeah, Ava said, I consider myself a fluent English speaker, and she is, I know Ava. As a second language, I used to read a lot of fantasy complex novels, and King James Version was still horrible to understand. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And, and so the point I'm making is, is that it's, it's something that's still hard to understand. It might have been easier hundreds of years ago, but it's not easy today for the average person. And you can say whatever you want about how easy you think the King James is to understand. I know preachers that still don't understand it. I know preachers that still don't get the word of God correct because they're using a King James Bible. And it actually, I've seen it where it leads to improper interpretation of scripture because they don't even understand what the King James version is saying or what it means in that place. They don't even understand it. And so as a result, they're actually preaching a wrong thing or interpreting scripture wrongly because they don't even understand how to properly read the King James version of the Bible. And we're talking about preachers who have been to Bible school. So don't tell me it's so much easier than all of these, <laughs> than all of these other, uh, other newer translations. And we're going to get to some other things too. But number one, it is not an easy translation to understand. Now, number two is a scriptural basis, and these will all flow together. I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 13, because this is extremely vital. <laughs> Brother Jeff said, I've never said, comest thou out, thou demon. <laughs> Casting demons out in the King James Version. Um, uh, Aisha says, yeah, as much as, the, I, as I like King James Version literacy on my personal time, it makes little sense to want to teach from it. Well, I'm going to get to that. And that's where I'm at here in point number two. Go with me to Matthew 13. We're going to read uh, the parable of the sower in the, the account of Matthew. Listen to this now. Jesus is talking about the fact that the sower sows the word and it falls on four different types of ground, Right. So he then explains his parable uh, to the disciples. And what does he say to the disciples? He says this in verse 18, Matthew 13, 18. And if you're new to the channel and you're like, well, what, what version are you reading from right now? This is the English standard version, the ESV that I'm reading from. Hear then the parable of the sower, verse 18, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the footpath. So right off the bat, Jesus is teaching that if someone preaches or teaches the word of God and the person who hears it does not understand it, then the devil is able to come immediately and steal from them the revelation of God's word from their heart, from their life. This is one of the main reasons that I do not recommend that people preach or teach from the King James Version of the Bible or study it on their own personal time as their main uh, Bible translation for study. M most people, and I'm talking about hundreds of millions of people, don't read at this level. The other thing is, why would you want to give uh, something that's, for example, if we, now listen, if the King James Version of the Bible was the only English version we had, it would be fine. We would just work harder to understand it. We would work harder to dig into it, but it's not the only English translation that we have. It's not. We actually have a flood of English translations at every spectrum. We have a flood 
and they're fine translations. I mean, they're very well done translations. As someone mentioned in the comments, we have the NASB, which is a phenomenal translation of the Bible and easier to understand than the King James. We have the ESV, which is my personal favorite and easier to understand than the King James. And I believe even easier than the NASB to understand. Then we have things that go more toward the thought for thought or uh, dynamic equivalence translations like the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation is a very fine translation of the Bible with 90 scholars that were on the board of translation to produce that uh, very thought for thought translation of the Bible. The New Living Translation is, is no slouch. It's a great translation of the Bible. It's just that their translation philosophy was not word for word or more uh, literal, it's more dynamic in its concept, which is fine. We have room in the English language for both types of translations and you could read them parallel ESV NLT, NASB NLT. And so understand something. Um, when, when you understand, when you, when you recognize that people have to be able to understand what the word of God says in order to produce fruit with it, notice only one of the four types of ground was actually able to produce fruit from what they received when the sower sowed the word. Only one, only one. Notice this, the fruit production part is the important part. That's the important part. And some of them were Pentecostal, Michelle. Some of them were. Some, this is actually the NLT was some of the, one of the first translations that actually had Pentecostal scholars on the board of translation, which I thought was wonderful. Absolutely. And so understand this, that God, his desire for us is to receive the word and then to produce fruit with the word. But Jesus taught very plainly that if you don't understand what the word of God says, then you can't produce fruit with the word of God. Now, Dennis makes a point. Maybe they should throw away their TV so they could put the Bible first in their life. I don't disagree with Dennis Winkler, who believes that people should put more of a precedent on the study of God's word. I actually totally agree with that, which is why we launched Bible study made simple, which is a course teaching people how to properly interpret the scripture and to spend time studying it to get the most out of it. Because I agree with Dennis, many people have put um, other things ahead of their dedication to God and Christ. Uh, as Dennis points out, entertainment is one of those things. Entertainment is easily seen as one of those things. And so um, I would say that people do need to spend far more time reading the Bible and studying it. But that doesn't change the fact of what I've already told you, that the King James is not the best translation to study in the current year that we're living. Uh, Christopher says, my cousin's a King, King James only Baptist, and he argues this with me, but his main argument is that the King James comes from the Textus Receptus and the NASB and some others come from the Alexandrian texts. I'm going to get into that uh, a little bit later in this video, because we're going to talk about that as well. Um, and just to give you a short answer, Christopher, the TR is, which is the Textus Receptus that was put together by Erasmus, uh, the first Greek printed new text, new Testament, um, is, is now considered by scholars to be an inferior text, a very inferior text to what we have available to us now. 
the King James Version people, the, the KJVO, the King James only people, they have some kind of a weird fixation on the fact that any of the manuscripts found in the Alexandrian region are somehow wicked because that was the place where somehow sin uh, existed. And so any of the translations uh, that were brought out in the English that based the, that were based on Alexandrian text are somehow corrupted and perverted and evil. But there's no evidence for that anywhere. There were very fine churches in the Alexandrian region. There, there's no, there is no proof or evidence anywhere in history that somehow the majority text is corrupted. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. No evidence. Um, or really there's no, there's, there's really no evidence that either, either side, the earliest manuscripts are corrupted. No evidence of that. And that the majority text is, uh, corrupted. No evidence of either one. So that's a terrible argument to make about why you choose the King James version of the Bible. We'll talk more about it in a minute, but you've got to be able to produce fruit with the word of God that you receive. So why would you, why would you think about this way? Why would you add an extra step to understanding and producing fruit? So I have to now read something in English that I don't understand. Then I have to make sense of it. And then I have to uh, apply it and produce fruit with it. Why not choose a very fine translation that you can make sense of as soon as you're reading it? and then produce fruit with it and let it apply to your life. Why, why would you not do that? Why would you add an extra step of difficulty in, in your Christian life to try to produce fruit with something you don't even understand in the first place? That's a foolish thing to do. And, and why would you reject the, the newer and actually uh, superior translations? Superior translations of the Bible. And so... Um, Nerd with a cigar, uh, I can understand the basis of that question, but I personally, uh, I don't look at it that way because I'm not, I'm not part of the rabbinic tradition. I, I'm not Jewish. I'm not a Orthodox Jew in that way. So I wouldn't really depend on what they're necessarily, what their scholars thought about what the best version of the old Testament manuscripts are. Uh, I would look for the earliest and best. And I think that that's what people do when you're looking at something like putting together, um, you know, a standard, uh, and I'm going to butcher this, but the, uh, Hebraica Stuttgartensia is, is mainly what the old Testament and a lot of versions of the Bible, uh, are translated from in the, in the old Testament, Hebrew and Aramaic. And then we have, uh, things that, for example, like the Nestle Holland Greek text or the United Bible society, Greek text, they put together, uh, the very best Greek text that we can have from the earliest and best manuscripts that have been discovered, which we'll talk about in a moment as well. So <clears throat> we've got to produce fruit. Well, here's the other thing. That's number two, that how are you going to produce fruit? How are you going to actually understand the word so that it's not stolen from you by the enemy? If you don't even understand it, you don't even understand it to start with. And so, um, Somebody asked, is the King James Version the only version of the Bible that has Strong's numbers attached to it? And the answer to that is no. There is uh, Strong's numbers attached to the ESV as well that you can find online. I believe that the blueletterbible.org, is that we've been using, blueletterbible.org? I believe that the blueletterbible.org actually has um, 
the Strong's numbers attached to the ESV as well. You can check it out. But if you like to use the Strong's Concordance, um, you can actually check it out with an ESV Bible as well, I believe. The, the third thing is this, number three, it will definitely impact your devotional time. As, as people have already said in the comments, it'll impact your devotional time. Um, you, here's what, what happens to people. If you start to read the Bible, just for example, let's say we have new believers and we want to get new believers, which is our whole point, right? Evangelism, conversion, and then discipleship. That's, that's the method for the, for the church, early church and now current church evangelism, conversion, discipleship, evangelism, conversion, discipleship. They've got to hear the word. They've got to understand the word being preached in order to have evangelism work and they've got to be converted. But listen, here's the important point. Discipleship. What's one of the things we want to get disciples of Christ to do daily, read the word of God. And here's the thing, human nature. If I'm sitting down and every time I open up the Bible, I have such a hard time. I don't understand what it's saying. I don't understand the language. I don't know what's going on. I'm not going to want to read the Bible. I won't open it. And that's just, I mean, has anybody else dealt with that in their earlier Christian life? Um, when you're picking up a Bible, it's like, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't want to sit down and try to figure it out. It's not easy to understand. And so it impacts people's devotional time. They will do less devotions. This is my contention. I'm not saying there's a statistic that backs this up. I'm saying that my opinion is anything that becomes hard, anything that produces an obstacle in your way to actually complete your goal should be moved out of the way. I can tell you this. I can remember when I first got my first new living translation, my cousin, Jonathan was getting married and I was his best man at his wedding and best man, the better man. And I, I got, I got at his wedding and, uh, I remember for his, um, I remember for his, uh, gift to his, um, what are we called? Groomsmen? Is that what they're called? Groomsmen. I remember his gift for his groomsmen was a leather new living translation of the Bible. Now I had never owned a new living translation before. And I believe the first version came out in 1996, I think, but they had just released, I think an update in 2006. And that's the year he got married. Is that right? Did I get married in 2006? And so did he. So we got married in the same year. Sorry, Carolyn, if you're watching. Um, but <laughs> I believe they had an update released that year and uh, he bought New Living Translations for his groomsmen. Well, I had never owned one before and I remember I sat down and started to read it. And I was like, man, John, I love this New Living Translation of the Bible. Um, and I started to go through Old Testament stories. And man, I loved the way that, that they translated it into the English language and the, uh, the way that they did it in a very readable and understandable. And by the way, the new living translation is written at about a fifth grade re reading level, about a fifth grade, sixth grade reading level. And, um, nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's where most Americans are. So why should we not have a Bible translation that is still, as I said, a fine translation, very well done. 90 some scholars on the board of translation. It's well done. Um, but why should we not have a translation that hits the target? And it does. And man, I started reading those and I was like, man, even reading these old Testament, um, stories is like reading a novel. It's so, it's so wonderful. Um, you can get a copy of the ESV Wilson anywhere, any bookstore. You can get it for free online. 
If you go to BibleGateway.com, if you go to BlueLetterBible.org, if you go to BibleHub.com, uh, you can read the ESV for free on your phone. If you download the YouVersion uh, Bible app that's free, you can see many translations for free on there. You can get an ESV literally anywhere. Um, same with any other translation of the Bible. And so I started, um, I said, man, uh, this is amazing. I love it. And then I started reading later on the ESV, which because we do a lot of Bible study and we're studying doctrine and, and all of that, I opt for a Bible in English that is more on the, uh, formal equivalent side than the dynamic equivalence. That's thought for thought on dynamic word for word on the formal. We go towards the word for word on the spectrum when we're studying doctrine and we're actually doing deep Bible, uh, study. And so I said, man, why would we want to, you know, put roadblocks in the way of our devotional time? And people know what I'm talking about. Uh, anytime something's hard for you to do, hard to get through, hard to understand, it deters you from doing that thing. Why would you want to put any more roadblocks for your flesh into doing devotional study of the Bible? And I can remember even getting the New Living Translation when I was like 22, 23 years old, I thought, man, this makes reading the Bible so much more enjoyable. I mean, I was using the King James Version. I was like, man, this is so much more enjoyable to read. And, and it made me want uh, to read more and more of the Bible. And uh, it's like, have you ever heard someone use the phrase, uh, I read this book, it was an easy read. I mean, have you ever heard that before? It was an easy read. Um, there's a reason they say that. Somebody recently recommended a novel to me and they said, man, this is a really good book. It's a really good, it's an easy read. I, I got the book and I was taking one plane ride and when the plane was getting ready to back up from the gate, I started the ebook on my iPad and before the plane landed in my destination, I had finished the entire novel. And I actually told them after, man, it was, it was like you couldn't put it down. It was an easy read. You know, you want to read more when you're comprehending and when you're getting the gist of it. That's the same here. Why would I want to pick up a Bible and read it? Then it's, it's hard for me to understand. It's hard to read. People are asking about different translations of the Bible. As I said, there are many fine translations of the Bible. And here's the thing. You don't have to just choose one. That's the great thing. You know, people are asking about the modern English version. I know Dr. Michael Brown promotes that, the MEV. Uh, people are asking about the Net Bible. Of course, I have one here. I have a couple. I want to show you. So, as you guys know, one of the things that we promote is this is the New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible. So, this is something we've given out to partners and people that have sown to our ministry. This is a more of a study Bible, but in the New Living Translation. On top of that, I also have been giving out, as you guys know, the Net Bible. This is the New English Translation. It's also a study Bible. It's the Full Notes Edition. So, this has 60,000 translator's notes in one Bible. Nerd with Cigar, check this one out. You'll like this a lot. The New English Translation, Full Notes Edition. This will blow your hair back. You can see it did that for me so much I don't even have any more. But uh, there's so many good English translations now that are modern translations of the Bible. So you've got the ESV, you've got the NASB, the modern English version, you've got the New Living Translation, you've got the New English Translation. So there's so many that you can choose from, but the nice thing is, 
Absolutely it would. John Harvard said, if the Bible is God's, is the word of God, wouldn't that be Satan's number one target to corrupt? Absolutely it would. John Harvard is exactly right. It would be the devil's number one target. Unfortunately for the devil, God promised to preserve his word and he has done so. In fact, one of the most interesting things you could ever find, because people say, well, the, you know, there's been so much time removed since they were, those things were written. I'm sure they've been changed so much since the last 2000 years. I bet the new Testament documents aren't even reliable anymore. Well, they found not just, uh, if you go back, look at the old Testament, that's even older by thousands of years than the new Testament documents. And when the dead sea scrolls were found in the, in the Qumran caves, they found an entire, uh, manuscript of the book of Isaiah on top of many other things. And when they compared it to modern day, what we have, it was 99.9% accurate with only a couple of changes in spelling and punctuation. God has truly preserved his word. God has truly preserved his word. John Harvard said, why is it the most woke ministries stay away from the King James Version? Well, I don't think that that's something that's mutually exclusive to woke ministries. I think that it's just something that people are understanding in the modern day, uh, like I'm teaching. I'm not a woke ministry. I'm against every woke thing that's taught in woke churches, and I don't use the King James Version of the Bible. And any doctrine that you can preach from the King James Version of the Bible, you can preach from any Bible because doctrine doesn't change just because the verbiage changes. Just because the uh, syntax or the grammar changes doesn't mean the doctrine changes. In fact, in all of the verses in the New Testament that are even in question, there's eight of them, uh, none of it affects orthodox uh, doctrine of Christianity. None of them. None of them. And, you know, you can make these arguments that it's historically been the, the, the one that's been used throughout the ages. Let me ask you this question. Um, Cause John's asking in historical revivals, what Bible version were they reading? Let me ask you this. When the revival hit on the day of Pentecost and the early church took off around the world, what Bible version were they reading? John Harvard King James version, right? When the early church fathers were seeing, were seeing the move of God in their day, what Bible version were they reading? King James version? No. They weren't using the King James Version. And a version being tied to a revival has nothing to do with it. Versions of the Bible don't produce revival. It's the hunger and crying out of the people that, that actually produce revival. It has nothing to do with what translation of the Bible you're reading. And so that's, that's not a great argument to make. So it'll impact your devotional time. Now, let me say this about the King James, and here's where I feel like the King James version of the Bible is an inferior translation of the Bible. Number one, and we talked about this, Chris asked a question about his cousin or, or brother or whatever it was that was King James only. Without, I'm not saying it's a bad, I'm not vilifying the King James, but I will say this, it is an inferior translation of the scripture when you compare it to more modern translations of the Bible. There's a reason I say that. The reason I say it is that the King James version of the Bible was produced in the 1600s and finally published in 1611. But when they were translating the scripture, um, in the 1600s, they only had a few 
Greek manuscripts to work with for the New Testament. Only a few. Only a few. And they were inferior and late, late manuscripts. I'm talking like 1600s. You go back there and they had, you know, stuff that was uh, very, very late, which is why that when uh, Erasmus was producing his Greek New Testament, he had very late manuscripts to work with. So when you talk about the King James Version, which as Chris pointed out, was created from something called the Textus Receptus, which just means in English, the received text. It was the Textus Receptus is now, yeah, that's a terrible book by Gail Ripplinger, John. That that, uh, New Age Bible translations, it is a terrible book, terrible. She's been debunked so many times over. She's a nut job. She's an absolute nut job. She's been proven wrong so many times. In fact, uh, one of the main guys that destroyed her argument, his name is Dr. James White, and uh, he wrote a book called The King James Only Controversy. Debated her on the radio, made her look like an absolute fool. That book is ridiculous. And you know why Gail believes the way she does? Is because she doesn't understand the way that Bible translation and transmission happens. She doesn't understand that. So there's people, to give everybody else that's listening some context, there was a woman in the 80s by the name of Gail Ripplinger. And she wrote a book called New Age Bible Translations. And so she was talking about how all of the new translations of the Bible like for example, the NIV and the NASB, they were demonic and anti-Christ in nature. And the reason that they were demonic and anti-Christ in nature is because they were removing verses from the Bible, removing verses from the Bible. Okay. But when you ask that question and we're talking about the King James, and this is right where I'm at, here's the question. What do you mean by the Bible? The NIV, the NLT, the ESV, the NASB, they're removing verses from the Bible. Okay, here's the question for every genius that's listening. What do you mean by the Bible? Because the King James Version of the Bible is not the standard of what the Bible is. The NIV, let me explain to you, John Harvard, why when you say omitted, that's a fallacy. It's not omitted. It's that the King James Version had things in it that were not in the original manuscripts of the Bible, that were added later by scribes. Added later, it's called conflation. It's called, it's called um, inflated piety. So things like Matthew 17, 22, things like, for example, uh, 1 John 5, uh, where we're talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. And they say, uh, no, the Lordship of Jesus is not removed from the other translations, John. That is a total fallacy. In fact, if it was, I shouldn't be able to turn to John 1, 1 and read in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. If they were going to remove the Lordship of Jesus, they'd have to remove all of the first chapter of John. They'd have to remove Titus's comments because Titus writes, listen to this, Titus 2, 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus refers to Jesus as God. That's as lordship-minded as you can be. The fact is, it's terrible. It's a terrible argument. She was a total nut job and didn't understand how Bible translation works. So, the way it works is this, is, for example, 
you look at the best manuscripts we have of the Bible in the Greek and the Hebrew, which is what we have today. We have over 6,000 manuscripts of the New Testament documents or fragments that have been discovered now, which is far more than any other piece of literature in the history of the world. The Bible's a miracle. We have over 6,000. So we have very, very early translations of scripture. We have the Codex Vaticanus, Codex Sinaiticus, and others that are early, early translations and, and copies of the Bible. And so we don't have to guess. We don't have to guess. The King James translators were using very late translation, translations of the Bible. And so here's the problem. Things like 1 John 5, where uh, we're talking about uh, the, the doctrine of the Trinity was well, so later, later translations of the Bible are taking out the doctrine of the Trinity. No, they're not taking it out. It was never there in the first place. It was never there in the first place. If you go over, this is some, this is something, if you want to hear the scholarly, uh, verb, uh, verbiage for this, it's called the comma Johannium. And <clears throat> it is something where they're saying that newer translations of the Bible are taking out the doctrine of the Trinity, because as you'll remember, let me read it to you from the King James, and then I'll compare it to the ESV. Check this out. And I'm going to show you some of the areas where the, key, the King James, it, it failed because they were using uh, late translations of scripture. So here's the King James version of 1 John 5 and verses 7 and 8. Listen to this. This is the King James version. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one, verse eight. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. All right, let's read what the ESV says. First John five, seven and eight. For there are three that testify. That's it. It does not say the Father, the Spirit. It, it does not say the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Verse eight, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Now, verse eight's there, but the rest of verse seven is not there. Why is that? Because it was never there in the original manuscripts of the Bible. I'll give you proof for that. Did you know that one of the things that the early church fathers had to combat on a regular basis was this thought process that the Trinity was heresy, that there was just one God. The Trinity was heresy. One God only. There's not three persons. And did you know that no church father, no church father ever used in their writing combating that heresy in the church? No church father ever referenced 1 John 5, 7 in the way that it's written in the King James Bible. And let me tell you, if they'd have had it, they would have used it. They, that would have been their proof text. No, the Bible says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. They would have gone there over and over and over to smash these guys, but they never once quoted it. You know why? It's not found in the earliest and best manuscripts of the Bible that we have. The King James Version was translated on very late manuscripts of the New Testament. And so that's why it is currently inferior. We have so many better English translations. And when I say better, I mean, we have better manuscripts to work with that give us earlier copies of the autographs. And it's not that they are removing verses from the Bible. It's that they were never there in the first place. And so here's the thing. 
when you've got different translations of the Bible, for example, this is why I love the net Bible full notes edition. It will give you in the notes, all kinds of explanations, textual notes about why these things are not found in the earliest manuscripts. And it'll tell you all kinds. This is like transparency from the translators. They gave you every reason that they made every decision in translation in this Bible. This is a gem. This is a gem. I do come from the, explain, the lineage of an old timer that read the King James for the most part. I was someone that read the King James, but there are far better translations uh, that are available to us. I mean, there's no question about that now. No question. So even if you have a new living translation of the Bible, think about this. They will give you footnotes. Sometimes they'll put verses in brackets, like the longer ending of Mark or uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery. They'll put them in brackets and keep them in the text and then explain to you at the bottom of the page why they're in brackets and why they're not really considered uh, as much part of the text anymore. So, um, and this is going to go deep for some people. How, how do they confirm that the earlier copies of manuscripts were accurate in general? Um, I don't know necessarily what you mean by that question. Uh, I've played a video on this channel by Vadi Bauckham that um, explains how it would have been impossible to uh, alter the text of the, of the Bible. The, one of the things you have to keep in mind, Stephen, is that Bible manuscripts are find, found all around the world in archaeology. And they don't, uh, you, can, you can obviously uh, tell how old something is when you discover it. You can do tests and find out how old a manuscript is. They can also tell by the, uh, the unseals or what type of writing was on the papyrus or or what they find for the Old Testament. They can find that for the Hebrew. They can find it for the Greek. They can tell when things were produced. So they can automatically give age to the documents, but then they can see that as things went along, there were scribes that added things to the manuscripts, not deviously, not evil in nature. Sometimes it was a sense of inflated holiness or something that they thought was supposed to be in the text, but it was actually just the commentary of another scribe. And so it's very important to understand those things when you, um, when you are, uh, for example, trying to understand why Bible translations are what they are. It's very important. Uh, and I agree with, with you, John. David Oedepo, possibly the most impactful ministry on the planet Earth. I agree with you. I love Bishop Oedepo. Yes, he teaches from the King James Version of the Bible. I would say the same thing to him. And I love Bishop Oedepo. I've met him multiple times. And I don't agree that the King James Version is the best. I'm not saying that you can't use it. Also, remember this. He's in his late 60s and has studied the Bible his entire life. So uh, I'm talking about, what did I just mention earlier? Evangelism, conversion, discipleship. Am I going to put a King James Version of the Bible in the hand of a new believer? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Not, not that there's, not that I think that it's not the word of God. There are better English translations available today. And I know that there's going to be Southern Baptists and uh, King James only independent fundamentalist Baptists that are going to, Dr. Tony Hudson somewhere is tearing out his non-existent hair and screaming, hey man, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We have far better and more, uh, 
superior, I would say, translations. Vincent, we have to be careful not to try to make God instant and easy. Uh, do you think God gave us the word of God, Vincent, so that we, you, he gave us his word so that we would not understand it? You think he's trying to keep us in the dark? You think that's what's happening? You think he gave us his word so that we wouldn't understand it? What a stupid thing to say. What a stupid position to hold that we should read harder translations to understand. Let me, let me ask you this way. If someone doesn't, if someone can't read Greek and Hebrew, should I vilify them and say, um, you know, even though you can't understand Greek and Hebrew, you should read those manuscripts anyway, because God wants, wants us to really press in. Now that's a stupid way of thinking. It's a stupid way of thinking. Read what's available to you. Read what's available to you. They have Bibles that are available in Spanish. Should you tell Spanish speaking people, you know, you need to, you need to read an English translation of the Bible. Don't be read. No. No, that's not what I'm doing, D. What I'm saying is that there are Baptist sects that believe that the King James Version of the Bible is the only inspired translation of the Bible, including, including the original manuscripts, which is an insane position uh, to stand on and try to teach to other people. And so, um, you know, if you get turned away by the facts, that's fine. I mean, you know, whatever. So that's number five, four. Let me give you number five before I pray, because it's very important that you get this. Um, number five, and this probably is the most important one. These factors that I just read, these four factors that I just read to you will impact your life and your Christian witness. They will, because let me, let me give you this. Um, this is very important. How many Christian young people do you think we're sending away to college that don't understand the Bible? that don't understand the scripture, that cannot go to 1 Peter 3, 15 and faithfully obey what we are commanded to do as Christians. Let me read it to you uh, in, in case we haven't seen it in a while. Let's read it. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason to hope uh, for the hope that's in you. Do we send people to, do we send young people to college today with the ability to make a defense for what they're, what they believe? No, we don't because we've not taught them how to study the Bible. They don't understand the Bible. We've got people today that are leaving and I don't, I'm not blaming this on the King James version, but it's a part to play. If you're, if you're reading a Bible, you don't understand, then you personally don't understand the concepts of the word. How can you then explain them to anyone else? How could you make a defense for a gospel that you don't understand? How could you make a defense for the Christian Orthodox doctrines that you stand on, that you adhere to, but you yourself don't even understand why you believe it? You yourself don't even understand what the Bible says about it. Are we sending young people out into the world today prepared to handle this anti-Christ agenda that's out and about? We are not. We are absolutely not. And so number five, um, we are actually doing our young people a disservice. We're doing our young people a disservice. Yeah, Tyler makes a great point. Uh, when you minister to people whose first language isn't English, you realize how tricky Bible translation is and can be. And so that's the key. And that's, you know, that's something that, that's something that everybody uh, always says if they believe in the King James only. Vincent May, the Holy Spirit is the interpreter. Uh, that is not actually what the Bible teaches whatsoever. Uh, in fact, if the Holy Spirit's the interpreter, then why do we need the Bible in our own language at all? 
I'm sure Vincent May is reading just from Greek, Aramaic, uh, Hebrew, and, and Latin documents and just saying, Holy Spirit, interpret these for me. I'm sure that's what you're doing, Vincent May. You're just reading foreign translations of the Bible in their original language and asking the Holy Spirit to interpret for you. No, that is not the way that you look at the Bible. That's not the way that you're supposed to look at scripture by any means. You're supposed to read it like any other literature, knowing that it's the word of God. A noun is still a noun. A verb is still a verb. An adjective is still an adjective. A question is still a question. A command is still a command. It's just that we have manuscripts today, uh, and I should say translations, that are much easier to understand. And that's exactly right. Why? Why do we need teachers today if the Holy Ghost is the interpreter? And so that's not at all what the Bible teaches. That's a faulty way of thinking. But it is important to understand. Now listen, as I said at the beginning, if you get to the end of this video and you're like, you know what, the, uh, the King James is still the right translation for me. I'm not against you. Read it. If, you, if that's what you love to read, if you feel that it gives you that kind of a, um, if you feel that it gives you that kind of a, a sense that, man, the poetic language of the King James really makes me feel like it's God's word and there's nothing else really like it that I could read, um, aside from Shakespearean plays, you, you say, you know, it makes me really feel like it's the word of God. It inspires me. I'm for you. I know plenty of people that still prefer the King James version of the Bible. I'm not saying don't read it. I'm saying that there are many other translations that are better than it that you have available to you today. And we have to think not only for ourselves, but for those that are coming into the kingdom, those that we're reaching with the word of God, those we're discipling. Those in this world that didn't grow up with the King James Version of the Bible, and when they hear it, they're like, what? What, that? what does that even mean? And so the point is, think about it. Think about it very clearly as you're, as you're considering these things. What, are, what did I say from the outset? We're believing for people, not just to be saved, not just to be converted. That's not our only point. That's not what Jesus said. He didn't just say, go into all the world and make converts. He said, make disciples make disciples. In order to disciple someone, they've got to be able to understand the concepts of Christianity, understand the doctrines of Christianity, understand the scripture when they read it. And that's the point. That's the whole point. Somebody asked, Constance asked, what are some of the best translations? Well, uh, I like newer, more modern translations, uh, yeah, absolutely. Jason Mayfield said King James preference versus King James only entirely different words. No worlds. Absolutely true. That's absolutely true. I have friends that are King James preference, uh, but they understand that there are other translations to be used. And sometimes we'll reference other translations. Um, but there's no question. There are modern translations that are more superior because they're, they're based on earlier and more reliable manuscripts of the Bible uh, in the Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. For example, we have, uh, like I mentioned, the NASB, which might be considered on the far end of the word-for-word -word spectrum of the Bible translation chart, uh, what we would call formal uh, equivalents. The NASB is great. The ESV that I've been reading from, it's a phenomenal translation of the Bible. Uh, I like the NET with the full notes editions. I like the New English translation, the NLT. Now, if you're going down towards the more thought for thought translations of the Bible, 
I would go down, look, look kind of at the net, which is going to kind of be more in the middle, but to the right of the NIV. Um, and the New Living Translation is going to be further over on the far more word for word, or excuse me, thought for thought translation of the Bible. Two translations I would never recommend because they're not translations is the message Bible and the passion translation. And that might be one of the biggest air quotes in the history of the world. The passion is not a translation of the Bible. It is a paraphrase. It should really just be called that guy's thoughts on the Bible. I can't remember his name right now. That guy's thoughts on the Bible. Brian Simmons. It should just be the Brian Simmons commentary. I would actually have no problem with the Passion Translation if it was just re-released as the Brian Simmons commentary of the Bible. It's not a translation. Neither is the message. It should just be called the Eugene Peterson commentary on the Bible. They are not translations of scripture. They are commentaries. They are paraphrases and should be treated as such. Nobody should ever open that up in a service and say, let me show you what the word of God says here because this really brought it out for me. That's not the word of God. (laughs) That's not the word of God. And it is only ever the word of God when it matches up with with what the actual manuscript said. There's so much stuff that's added into the message and the passion uh, for sake of flourish that is not, that is not the word of God. Just re-release it as the Eugene Peterson commentary and the Brian Simmons commentary. It'll be fine, but it's not the Bible. It's only the Bible in so much as it matches what the manuscripts say. No, uh, the living Bible again, Cameron is a paraphrase. It's the same way I feel about the message and the passion. They are paraphrases. Now don't confuse the living Bible with the new living translation because the new living translation is an actual translation of the Bible and a very good one at that. I'm not sure, Zach. I hope that he did. He said, uh, Eugene Peterson did say to not study and preach from the message, didn't he? I'm not sure. That would be very wise if he did say that. I'm not aware of it, but that would be good. That would be good. Um, So I just, I say this. Use, you know, when you're studying scripture, and by the way, that's why, um, yeah, I agree with Jason Mayfield, uh, you can't use either as a reliable translation of scripture, especially to build doctrine on or to do deep Bible study. I think it's a mistake to try, uh, I don't think it's a mistake, it is a mistake to try to do that. Um, but the key being in this, in this video, dive into the scripture. Read more of the Bible than you ever have. In fact, if you're not signed up for the fall opening of our course, Bible Study Made Simple, I would sign up. Because let me tell you something, we're opening the course up again in October, and it, we have been, this has been one of the greatest things we've ever released in our ministry. So many people are being built up. We're going to post some videos from people soon. People are, are just like blowing up my phone. This is the best thing. I've never, I've actually had people say this. I've been in church for over 20 years and have never learned some of these things. That's because it's not taught many times in church. Um, and so I would say if you're not signed up yet, we have over 300 students currently in Bible study made simple. And we have, I think close to a hundred people that are on the wait list, uh, to join us in October. When we open the course again, I would highly recommend that you join us. We've made it so affordable for you. It's only $15 a month and you get a video every single week. 
and Hannah's a part of it. She said, it's really fantastic. Um, I would love for you to be a part of Bible study made simple. Um, uh, as we open it up again in the fall right now, we're in the middle of a deep dive on the book of Galatians. And it has been amazing. We're going through Galatians verse by verse, because that was the majority vote of the students. They wanted to start with a book study. So we started with Galatians. It has been amazing. And uh, I'm so happy with it. We started with how to study the Bible. We give you the Bible study principles of inductive Bible study method. And then we take you through the three steps of that, learning how to look at the text, learning how to observe it, then interpret it, then apply it. And uh, I'm telling you, it's been so phenomenal. People are growing. We're seeing things we've never seen before. And um, thank you, Mike. Uh, but it's, it's been great. I would love to have you join us. That's why we kept it affordable. It's not a hundred dollars. It's $15 uh, a month. I mean, really the price of three lattes from Starbucks and you know, you buy more than three lattes a month from Starbucks. So we made it affordable so that people could be a part of it. We just want to teach you the word of God. And so we'd love to have you join. If you want to jump in in the fall, sign up on the wait list so you can be notified because the course opens for a very short period, only a few days. And then we close it down again so we can go through together, uh, synchronize. So go to bible.miracleword.com, bible.miracleword.com. Join us, be a part. Let me pray for you today, Father. I pray for every one of us that are watching, those that are listening, that you would give us a greater love for your word than we've ever had. Give us a hunger and a passion to open the word and to read the word and to take it in. And not only that, to understand it properly and to produce fruit with it. We thank you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as the word comes into our spirits, that you're not only building us up, refreshing us, encouraging us, but giving us a boldness and a desire to do the work of Christ, to win the lost, to see people come to Jesus, to make disciples before it's too late. Set us on fire once again, Lord by your spirit. We love you. And we thank you for calling us into the kingdom and using us for your glory in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Chris, I love you. Brother Chris Hubbard, a phenomenal organist and keyboard player and preacher. Uh, love you a lot. Sissy is asking, how long does the class last? The, uh, the answer to that is every week we have a video that releases that's somewhere between 25 and 45 minutes. And most of the time it's around 30 minutes. And so we have a 30 minute video of teaching every single week to build your knowledge, understanding, and love for the word of God. And so it doesn't even take a ton of time out of your week, 30 minutes a week, basically. And you can watch it at your own pace. You don't have to be there at a certain time. You don't have to log on at a certain time. You can watch it at your own pace in the classroom. You can ask questions. You can be a part of our private Facebook group where we interact. We do live question and answer sessions. It is an excellent resource for believers. I believe it's the greatest thing we've ever released uh, digitally for people to be a part of because we are truly, love you too, John. We are truly doing all that we can uh, to reach people and to teach people before Jesus comes back. Can you scroll up? Somebody else had another question, I think, regarding uh, the course. Um, Mike did. When fall, the fall session starts, are you going to start at the beginning or just have new students watch the beginning videos? So we're looking at the way we're going to do that, but we're not starting at the beginning. So Mike, the way that, that it's going to work with what we've already taught, um, we have some things like 
going through inductive Bible study method. That will be there in the archive for new students to go back and watch through how to study the Bible. But we're considering, we're not going to make the content available uh, that we've already gone through for new students because they weren't a part of it during the time we were doing it. And there's a benefit for jumping in early and on time, uh, which is you get to go through the content with us that we're going through. So the Bible studies and the things that we're doing in the course uh, are not going to be uh, necessarily available free uh, to the oncoming students that will join us in the fall. Now, we will probably make those videos available for an additional price within Miracle Word University. For example, our deep dive uh, in the book of Galatians, and we're just figuring out a way to do that now. But the archived stuff, how to study the Bible, the basics that you need to know, they will be in there for the new students to go through at their own pace and join us for future Bible studies as well. So. It's going to be intuitive for people that are joining, but they're going to get a ton of value. But those that are already a part are going to get, are going to get new value. So we're not doing the same things over again, Mike. Uh, it'll be all new stuff for, for the fall. So very excited about that. Any other questions today before I go, if we can go to the bottom, any other questions from people before we uh, do anything else? Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it. And listen, while we're at it, I want to, I want to encourage you, those of you that are watching, to stand with me and Carolyn in partnership. Sow a seed, if you would. Be a part of this ministry. We're seeing souls saved all over the place and now around the world through television. We're on TV every week in 180 plus nations of the world and we're constantly seeing people saved and signing up for Next Steps program from nations of the world. Supernatural. We start another revival on Sunday morning in Tomball, Texas. And uh, it's just... It's, it just keeps on going and things have been, doors are opening and revivals taking place everywhere. People are hungry for the presence of God, hungry. Uh, no, I'm not going to expound on, on any more scripture uh, in this video. We've done a, a ton of teaching. Are those who are already in the Bible study automatically renewed in the fall course? Yes, Jen, they are. If you're a part of it now, which I know you are, uh, you'll just automatically continue with us as the Bible study continues. We're just allowing new people to join uh, in the in the uh, fall. No, Desiree, I'm not going to go over the five reasons again, but you can rewind in YouTube and you can go back and watch. Yes, Constance, it's the Net Bible, the New English Translation, the Net. And uh, you can get it at netbible.org, netbible.org. Nerd with a Cigar, we'd love to see you in Tomball, uh, just north of Houston. We're going to be there Sunday. We're scheduled Sunday through Wednesday. Uh, every night at 7 p.m., all the details are on our website, miracleword.com. Love to have you. Just don't bring the cigar. But you know what? Bring the cigar if you want to. Whatever. It's your life. They may not allow you to smoke it in the sanctuary. Um, <laughs> we just want to see you. We'd love to see you. We'd love to have you. Um, but it's sun this coming Sunday through Wednesday night is what we're scheduled for. And again, uh, the address, the times, the details miracleword.com. If you want to check it out and join us, we would love to have you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Come up and say hi to me. Come up and say hi to me, Nerd with a Cigar, when you see me at the service. Uh, don't leave. Don't leave. Come to the altar after the service and say hi and shake my hand. Give me a hug. I'd love to meet you. Would love to meet you. That would be great. I love you guys. A couple of announcements that we may have for you. Number one, this bad boy is available in the store right now for your children. It's the one year uh, Bible study um, 
called Strong, Smart, Set Apart for the Children. It goes through a full year of studies. It's full color all the way through. And um, there's no King James Version anywhere in it. But it's, it, this, is one of the, this is the best resource for kids we've ever released. And it's available right now in our store, shop.miracleword.com. And uh, you can also get it on Amazon if you'd like to. It's available on Amazon in your territory. But if you get it from our store, uh, we will also be sending you some bracelets and stickers for your kids along with the book. We also have bulk pricing if you'd like to uh, even get in on bulk pricing too. So uh, really excellent resource for the children. We have a summer kids box because we've got new t-shirts and we've got new goodies for the kids. So we have a keepsake box, but the Miracle Word Kids summer box, you get to choose one of the two brand new shirts. You get a water bottle that's got Miracle Word Kids on it. You get a beach ball, you get a tote bag, you get candy, you get stickers. You get all that stuff in one box for the kids and it's available right now in the store, which we're so happy about. We've got all new shirts. The Divine Possession shirt on the acid wash too uh, is something brand new we just dropped. It looks awesome. Alex did an amazing job designing it. Those are available in the store and um, go check out all the new stuff that we have available. On top of that, uh, I wanted to say that um, Alex dropped a new uh, episode on the podcast yesterday, which w- it's phenomenal. It's called Debunking Cessationism, uh, which needs to be done, especially in this generation. Uh, God is still working miracles today. God is still healing today. God is still blessing today. God is still giving prophecy today. He's still, uh, tongues and interpretation, still available today. All of these things have not ceased. They are uh, still taking place today. That'll be an excellent episode. Get your students connected with Last Gen Youth on Instagram, at Last Gen Youth. It's very important. The ages for the book, I believe we're saying about five to 12, is that right? About five years old to 12 years old, Bonnie, is the ages for uh, the books. I love you guys so very much. Don't forget, it's Wednesday, which means Carolyn is live today at 2 p.m. You do not want to miss it. 2 p.m. Eastern time. That's New York City time if you're around the world. Uh, Join us back 2 p.m. Carolyn will be live. It's going to be great. I love you. I'll see you in the morning. Have a powerful day. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.